We've been doing this series called Stranger Things. <laughs> Stranger Things. It's about exploring strange Bible passages. And if this is your first time here, I'm just giving a little bit of a warning. It's going to get a bit weird in this service because we're going to be looking at some weird Bible passages. Let's, let's, let's be real. Some of those Bible passages, we're just kind of scratching our head. What's this going on about? So for the last couple of weeks, we've been on this journey exploring strange Bible passages. We, we, the first week, we looked at the fall in the garden, this talking snake. And where did this word Lucifer come from? And looked at all, explored all those things. And last week, we looked at this, what's called the second fall. And we looked at these strange creatures called the Nephilim. The Nephil what? Well, that's what we did last week. So today, please fasten your seatbelts. Because we are going to go a bit more weirder and stranger. You thought last week was weird? Get, wait till you hear this message. So, uh, but it's really interesting because when it comes to the afterlife, when people, people in the world, maybe if, if you know nothing about God, maybe you, if you're not religious, it's really interesting that lots of people have lots of ideas of what happens when we die. You may not believe in God, uh, if, and it's really interesting. You ask somebody, do you believe in God? No, I don't believe in God. Do you believe you're going to go to heaven? Yep. They don't believe in God, but they believe they're going to heaven. And because, it's, because for most people, their, their concept of what happens when we die, we get from the movies. It's really strange. Movies really informed us. We watch movies about what happens in the afterlife, angels, and all sorts of things. And it's really funny. All these things, they kind of form categories in our minds. Like, for instance, true or false? True or false? Like, before humankind was created, Satan led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. True or false? Say that again. True or false? Before the creation of, of mankind, before Adam came, right? Satan led a third of the angels in rebellion to God. True or false? And you're probably sitting there like, I'm not sure if I should answer this because this could be a trick question, right? And Because uh, the obvious answer is not always obvious. Because the answer is this. It is false. There is no scripture whatsoever in our Bibles that says that Satan, before humanity, led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. In fact, there's no scripture saying that the devil led the angels, period, in a rebellion against God. He took a third of the angels. You can't find that one iota in scripture. You can find something in maybe Revelation chapter 12, but that's not what it says. Revelations, people take it out of Revelation 12, verse 4, but that's not what it says. So today, we're going to be exploring some strange Bible passages. And uh, so today, the, today's message, <clears throat> we're going to be exploring a rebellion. So the title, if you're looking for the title of today's message, is called Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels, the third rebellion. There's three rebellions in the Bible. We looked at two the last couple of weeks. We're looking at the third Rebellion. What's really interesting is that in the Old Testament, um, the term angel is a job description. So there's all these, for the last couple of weeks, just, we've been doing, uh, talking about spiritual beings in the Bible. The Hebrew word for spiritual being is Elohim. And quite often when we read God in our Bibles, it's the word Elohim, it's plural. But it also can mean the Elohim, the Elohim above all Elohim, because out of this, out of the Elohim, he created all things. Everything, spiritual and physical. There's no other Elohim like the Elohim we serve. You know, the, these these spiritual being God is spirit. And so, in the, in in the, in the Old Testament, an angel is a job description for one of these Elohim's. And and what angel means is a messenger. 
And quite often God will send a messenger. One of the, one of his, one of the um, spiritual beings will come down and bring a message, and that's what's called an angel. Now, by, t- by the time we get to the New Testament, these terms, they kind of become more defined. So when we get to the New Testament, any spiritual being that is loyal to Yahweh, that's loyal to God, is called an angel. Okay, now we've got categories. The good spiritual beings, angels. Every spiritual being that rebelled against God are called demons. Demons. This is, this is where we get the word demons and they appear in the New Testament. All of a sudden, the battle lines have been drawn. So we're going to be looking at this. Are you ready? We're going to be looking at this passage. It's from Genesis chapter 11. It's the third fall or the um, third rebellion. Actually, this is a twin rebellion. A twin rebellion with both humans and spiritual beings rebel against God. So let's have a look at this twin rebellion. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now, so leading up to this, so Noah, God sends the great flood, wipes out the earth, only Noah and his family saved on the ark. The ark settles. After that, God commands Noah. Noah becomes what's known as the second Adam. Okay, you, uh, says, uh, Noah, go and do what I commanded Adam to do. Adam failed. Go. Go, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. Go, fill the earth, multiply, spread out, subdue, subdue the world, and, and be obedient to me. And so that's, that's God's command to Noah. So he's just reiterating the original Edenic um, um, promises that, he, that God set up. Here we go, Genesis 11, 1, 9. Let's see if they obeyed God. Here we go. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. Shinar is, is an ancient word for Babylon, Babylonia. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Because we, no way are we going. No, we're not going to fill the earth. We're going to stay put. That's what we're going to do. And so they build this great tower. Great tower. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. So they build this great, huge tower. So God comes down, has a look at this huge tower, and he goes, wow, that's quite impressive, this huge tower. Wow. And so he's looking at this tower. And uh, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there Yahweh confused the language of the whole world from there, Yahweh scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Right? So God commands them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And humanity responds by giving God the finger and saying, that's not what we're going to do. And humanity begin to seize an opportunity for themselves to define good and evil for themselves. No one's going to tell us what to do. This is the second rebellion of humanity from the garden. God's not, oh, we're not gonna, he's not, a, he's, gonna rule, he's not gonna rule over us. 
He's not going to tell us. No one's going to rule over us. We're going to do things our own way. Isn't that so true of ourselves? We don't like people telling us what to do. Certainly not God. You're going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to define good and evil for myself. So humanity turned their backs on God for a second time. So you may be thinking, how is this a twin rebellion? You know, right? Humanity, they rebel, but what's up with the spiritual beings? We can't see any spiritual beings in the story. Well, it's really interesting because Moses, Moses will go on to say in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, he begins to describe, describe this event. And, he, and what Moses says in Deuteronomy, he says, it is this moment at the Tower of Babel is when he puts all the nations under the authority of lesser spiritual beings. Is what Moses, Moses begins to say. And he says that in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. It's a strange passage. So you thought it was going to get weird. Let's get a little bit weirder. Here we go. Verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind. When did God divide mankind? At the Tower of Babel. So Moses is connecting this story. He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the Benai Elohim. The sons of God, that's the translation, benign Elohim, these spiritual beings. Because of humanity's rebellion, God places the nations under the authority of, of these lesser spiritual beings. It's what the Apostle Paul, it's what he describes in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 25, that God gave human, humankind over to their persistent rebellion. You don't, you don't want, you don't want to um, follow me. You want to go your own way? Well, I'm going to hand you over to your desires. If you're rejecting me, well, then here you go. You can serve these other spiritual beings, these other spiritual beings, and see what you can do. This is a strange passage. Let's be honest. It's still weird. In fact, some translators find this weird. And maybe your translation will say something slightly different. It will probably say something like this. He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of sons of Israel. That's what you were saying, because it got too weird, which is kind of weird because Israel didn't exist at this moment. Sons of Israel. And, but it will have a footnote saying, the oldest translations say son of God, benai Elohim. The oldest translations we have. But it's so weird. Let's just use this one instead. So here we have it. So God hands them over. But verse 9, but Yahweh's portion is his people, his most prized possession, Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel, his allotted heritage. So God hands over the nations to these lesser spiritual being, but he takes Israel as his own. It may seem like that God has given up on humanity. Oh man, he's given up on us? He's just handed us? It may seem like he has, but he hadn't. God had not given up on you. He'll never give up on you, because what we see in the very next chapter, because chapter 11, chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. What we see in chapter 12, immediately after he hands over the nation, God begins to enact a plan of redemption. He enacts his redemption plan. And what does he do? What does his redemption plan look like? What does it look like when God begins to redeem the nations? And it looks like God calling a man by the name of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you and your descendants, every nation will be blessed. God begins to enact this plan that, that, that through Israel will serve as a conduit for the nations to return to the true God. But these sons of God over the, over, over the nations, they rebel as well. And Daniel 10, we're going to go to another strange passage in Daniel 10. 
Daniel 10 has this weird little passage in chapter 10 where there's this divine being standing and is talking to Daniel. This divine spiritual being is talking to Daniel. And he's like saying, you know, I would have been here sooner. But as I got here to, uh, to Persia, I had to contend with the, the ruler over Persia, the spiritual ruler. The territory ruler, spiritual ruler, fought against me. In fact, let's get there. I love how the NLT puts it in verse 13. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So we've got these territorial um, deities, these Elohim, these spiritual beings, these gods over these nations continue. This is mine. And he goes on again in verse 20. He replied, do you not know why I have come? Soon I must return and fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. You're like, oh my gosh, what are we reading here? All right? Here's the thing, you know, what I love about, you know, I do talk to other pastors about what I'm going to do. And they go, oh my gosh, that's a bit strange. Yeah, stranger things. He goes, because oh, I, I don't know about you, but I think it's really good to teach all of the Bible, not just some of the Bible. Should we teach all of the Bible? Let's get into all of the Bible. Let's carry on. And this is how the psalmist puts it in Psalms 82. The psalmist puts it like this. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Now in Hebrew, Elohim appears twice in this passage. Elohim has taken his place. In the divine council, in the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. The spiritual being is holding counsel amongst the other spiritual beings. Right? The sons of God, Benai Elohim. In Cook Island, it's like Teatua has taken, taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the Atua. All these other Atua, these other Atuas, he holds judgment. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. I like Selah. Selah is this kind of like, no one really knows what it means, but we kind of think it means like a break in the song. You know what the Bible is saying? The Bible is saying is that the gods over these other nations are these rebellious spiritual beings. And these gods over other spiritual nations, they come in different forms. Comes in the form of Zeus. Comes in the form of Odin. Comes in in many, many forms, these spiritual beings ruling over the nations. And the Bible says this is where they're from. They're the rebellious sons of God, the benai Elohim. And Psalms 82 begins to address them. Verse 3, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the, from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are shaken. Verse 6, I said, you are gods. You are Elohim. You are spiritual beings. You are Atua. You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. God is holding these rebellious spirits to account. I love what he says in verse 8. The narrator jumps in. He says, Arise, O Elohim. Arise, Teatua. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. God is taking back 
the nations. See, this is why this incident in the Tower of Babel is seen as a twin rebellion. And just to help, what, help you uh, to submit this in your mind and what we've been doing the last two, a couple of weeks, we'll be getting help from what's called the Bible Project. You can take a look at the Bible Project on YouTube. So have a look at this little clip from the Bible Project. What about these other spiritual rebels in the Bible called demons? What are they all about? Okay, so remember the concept of God's heavenly staff team, the divine council, or the sons of God. In the Hebrew scriptures, we're told that some of these rebelled too. When did that happen? Multiple times, actually. After the snake comes the rebellion of the sons of God in Genesis 6. We're told that they have sex with women who then give birth to violent warrior giants. Oh, right, the Nephilim. These are probably the strangest characters in the whole Bible. Well, strange from your point of view. But ancient readers knew exactly what was going on. The ancient kingdoms around Israel claimed to be founded and protected by giant warrior camps who were part human, part God, and filled with divine wisdom. Ah, I see. So the biblical authors are saying, hey, those warrior kings, they shouldn't be honored. Right. In this story, they're portrayed as human rebels who are captive to spiritual evil, spreading their violence in God's good world. Yeah, and one of those kings in Genesis 10 goes on to build the city of Babylon. Yes, Nimrod, whose name sounds like the Hebrew word for rebel. And his kingdom leads to the next rebellion where humans exalt themselves in Babylon. But God scatters that rebellion. And when Moses in Deuteronomy looks back at that story, he says that's the moment when God handed over the nations to worship the rebel host of heaven, the gods of money, sex, and military power. Moses is the first one to call them demons, that is, lesser spiritual beings. So demons are spiritual forces at work behind corrupt human power structures. Yes, but in the Bible, they also work on the personal level, animating and exploiting humanity's greed and selfishness, as well as the weakness of our mortal bodies. In the Bible, spiritual evil is at work in anything that drags God's good creation back into chaos, darkness, and death. So this is why when Jesus arrives on the scene, he said his primary enemy is not human. Right. Jesus and his first followers viewed all the pain and suffering in God's good world as a sign of its captivity to death and spiritual evil. But they didn't think this was the end of the story. Right. Jesus knew that the only way out of this cosmic ruin is to overcome evil and death itself, even if it costs him everything. Here's the thing, that, that person that hassles you all the time, the person who, who has stolen from you, that person who's harmed you, the person that has done so much evil to you. The Bible's telling us that, that they are not your enemy. The person in your workplace is not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Apostle Paul describes it many times in the New Testament, but he puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authority, against the cosmic powers over 
this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And quite often the New Testament uses the heavenly places as spiritual realm. That there is a spiritual realm that is going on. There is an intelligent evil that is going on around us. And, and our series called Stranger Things, there's another uh, program on Netflix called Stranger Things as well. They copied our title. And they copied our concept of the upside down. And if you looked at it, okay, we stole all the ideas. But anyway, the whole idea of the upside down, and, and if, you, if you watch a TV series, it's quite amazing because they probably aren't aware of it, but they're actually talking about biblical truths. That there is intelligent evil going on around us. Another, there's an upside down world that we, don't, we do not see. There's an, there's an evil that wants to destroy you. And that's happening around us. And, which is why the Bible says that, uh, why Jesus says, love your enemy. How do we overcome uh, evil force? How do we overcome evil? Through love, by love. That's how we do it. So what does it look like when God takes back the nations? Well, it looks like Jesus. It looks like, it looks like a woman caught in adultery being forgiven. It looks like a leper being healed. It looks like a man being crucified and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It looks like love. It looks like the resurrection. And Jesus came and he, and he died and he rose again. And, and before he ascended into heaven, he, he told his disciples, told his disciples, wait, something's coming, a helper. And this is where, where we pick up this story on what it looks like when God takes back the nations. So if you've got your Bible, turn over there, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost is 50 days from the Passover. So Passover Sabbath, Saturday, then the Sunday, you count 50 days from the Saturday, and Jesus rose again on the first day on that Sunday. Count 50 days, and that's Pentecost. So now it's Pentecost Sunday. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In Hebrew, the wind is ruach. Ruach also means spirit. Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God. And in Greek, it's pneuma. Rushing wind also means spirit. There's this powerful wind, rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. Where else in the Bible do we see fire and, and tongues or, or speech coming out of a fire? And if you're familiar with the story of Moses and the burning bush. See, whenever there's wind and fire, God is about to move. And verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Numa, the Spirit, gives them utterance. Now they, were dwell- now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from some nations, from one or two nations. What does it say? From every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. They were confused. And, and the reason why these men who came from every nation were in Jerusalem, they were there to celebrate Pentecost. And they gathered from every nation 
there, and, and they heard the commotion that was going on. I'm like, what's going on? Is there like a party? It's like, what? It's not, it's not, even, it's not even time for a party. What's going on there? And, and, and then, they, then they started to hear their own tongue being spoken, and they were confused. They were confused because each one was hearing them speak in his own language from every nation. And what they were hearing was the name of Jesus being preached. Because Pentecost is Babel being reversed. See, the, the two key terms in this passage that connects it to, to Babel is that the flaming tongues are described as being divided. And, and the crowd composed of Jews were from every nation and they were confused. Genesis 11, God divided the nations by confusing their language. So here in Acts chapter 2, it's, it's, it's Babel being reversed. God was reclaiming the nations. See, the Jews who had embraced Jesus as the Messiah, who were gathered there, because the Bible tells us that Peter goes on to preach about this Jesus that you crucified. And the Bible tells us that 3,000 came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now these people, they go back to their homes, back to their countries. They go back to the nations, taking the message of Jesus. The Roman Empire tried to squash it. Try to squash it. 2,000 years later, there's no more Roman Empire. But the church still stands. Babel's disinheritance was going to be rectified by the message of Jesus. The nations will once again be God's. So when God's original plan was ruined in the garden by that original rebel, the serpent, God did not destroy humanity, but promised that one day, one day, a human will come and reverse the fall. And when he had disherited humanity at Babel, he did not abandon humanity. God did not abandon you. But instead, he was so concerned for you. He was so concerned for humanity that he steps into his creation and he bounds himself with flesh and in the fullness of Jesus he dies on the cross for all your sins for your greatest mistakes so that you can be free from the power of sin and death and he takes the authority back from these rebellious spiritual beings and he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me he has reclaimed the nations so what does this mean for us what does this mean for you? It means that if, if you have ever turned your back on God, have you ever turned your back on Him? Have you ever rebelled against God? Have you ever gone your own way? Even though He's blessed you so much, you've still turned your back on Him. It means... That even with all of that, the, regardless of what you were doing last night, regardless of what you are doing before you got here, that God will never abandon you. He will never turn His back on you. 
You are not a mistake. You are not a waste of space. The enemy has been lying to you for too long. He is the father of lies, what Jesus tells us. God never gives up on you. You need to declare some truths over your life. That I am loved. That I am a child of God. That I am chosen. That I am not forsaken. That He is not against me. That I am who He says I am. See, the enemy knows his time is up. He knows that. But I love this. Because get this. God wants to partner with you. He includes you in reclaiming the nations. What does God's plan look like? It looks like you. Did you know that you have purpose? You are the answer to someone's prayer right now. Someone is in the middle of darkness and they're praying for help. They don't know who they're praying to. They're calling out for help. They're praying for you. And the enemy of God will try to stop you from stepping into your purpose. He'll make you think you're not good enough. He'll make you think you're not smart enough. He'll make you think you haven't got the words to articulate anything right. He'll make you think you haven't got time for this. Because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If you come along to the men's home group on a Wednesday night, I stole it from the men's group. I'm using it in today's message. Here's the thing. Years ago, I had this neighbor. And um, he was gang affiliated. He was tatted up. Man, that, you know... um, You'll look at his family, you'll think his family's really dysfunctional. Man, swearing was part of their language, it's how they talk to each other, their children, their children to each other, swearing at their dog, the dog is swearing to the cat. It's crazy how it's going on. And every night they had the disco, uh, red and blue lights, every night. (laughs) Where's the red and blue lights coming from? And, you know, and, you know, You've seen this before on domestics on the road, on the streets. This was the way of life. And, and can I be honest with you? To be honest, can, can I tell you, this guy, he, honestly, he was a really nice guy. He was so friendly. I had lots of good chats with him. He was such a good nice And I could tell that he really loved his family. You need to understand something. Sometimes the words that we use is because we don't know how, what it, some, the way that our lifestyle is, the way that the enemy begins to take over us, sometimes we, we just don't know what words to use and we just use what we're used to. It's so easy for us to judge and point the finger, but there are people out there who are crying for hope, crying for love. And instead of us turning our backs, you know, we never should look down on anyone unless we're helping them up. And this neighbor, at 10 o'clock every day, he would start drinking. The music's going, be drinking. Every Sunday, he'll invite me for a drink. He'd go, Bro, come over for a drink. And I was going, I'm off to church because I'm holy. It's how I roll. I'm busy. I'm busy doing God's stuff. Every Sunday, he'll ask me again. I'll tell him again, I'm busy doing God's stuff, going to church. One particular Sunday, he said it to me again. I was going to give my usual response, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And Oh, man, when the Holy Spirit... Sometimes when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, it's nice. Other times, it's really convicting. (laughs) 
This wasn't a nice time. And the Holy Spirit said to me, every Sunday, He invites you over for a drink. Every Sunday He invites you. But not once have you invited Him to church. I was like, so I said, bro, you want to come to church? And he was like, bro. <laughs> and we, we leant on the fence and we had this long conversation and he's just talking about that. He's telling me he needs to change. He loves his children. He, but he sees the problem. When he opens up his fridge and he just sees his alcohol there, he said, he's just, he's just, and he politely turned me down. And he said, bro, could you pray for me? Could you pray for me? And, and, and I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll pray for you. Every Sunday I'll go to church and go, bro, pray for me. Said, yeah, I'll pray for you. I would like to say that he became a Christian, but he didn't. I, I mean, to be honest, I don't know where he is today. I have no idea. But this I do know, that his young son that grew up in that household, he grew up and he became an on-fire, born-again believer in that household. Honestly, sometimes you think you're praying for your neighbor. You, I don't think, I don't know, is anything getting through there? You have no idea the power of the Holy Spirit. You have no idea what is going to if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. He'll give you all these reasons and excuses. You are the answer to someone's prayer. Someone's in the middle of darkness right now, and he's praying for help. He doesn't know who he's reaching out to. You are the answer to someone's prayer. If the devil can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. Come on, let us pray.